He's going to be there to direct us. He's going to be there to comfort us. He's going to be there to strengthen us. He's going to be there to advocate for us. Another helper. As Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure, he promises to send the Holy Spirit as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. It goes without saying that our world is full of trouble. For those of us who believe it can be even harder to bear because we see a world where many have rejected God. But we also have hope because Christ overcame the world and his life now lives in us through the Holy Spirit. Christ explains in our lesson this week that it was for our good that he departed this earth and went back to the Father so that his Spirit might be poured out on all who believe. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, with this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward. So, if you've been with us, we're doing a study in the Gospel of John, a very important Gospel. They're all important, but what's unique about John's Gospel is John's Gospel is more of a personal account because it's written by one of the apostles who was a member of Jesus' inner circle. Remember, Jesus had 12 apostles, but three were really close to him, Peter, James, and John. And so the Gospel of John was written by the apostle John. And so that's why in a lot of the accounts that Jesus uh, is described in interacting with people, there's a lot of detail. And this is especially true on the night before Jesus died. Because on the night before Jesus died, Jesus not only celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, but he also gave them a final teaching. And this final teaching can be found in uh, John uh, chapter uh, 14, 15, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. And so tonight we're going to be looking at 16. Last week we looked at 15. Now just to review, uh, I do want us to uh, be reminded of the purpose of John's Gospel ultimately. Now the title of the study is a life's meaning and purpose, right? Gospel of John, life's meaning and purpose. Because it's in the Gospel of John that we find why we're here. The questions that we all ask, why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we headed? Why do we die? Why is there suffering? Those are general questions that all of us ask, and they're answered in John's Gospel. Now, of course, they're answered throughout the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. But in John's Gospel, we really get to the heart of the matter, because John's Gospel reveals to us who Jesus is, why he came, what was his purpose? And uh, as a result, we find our purpose and where we're headed and why we're here, et cetera, et cetera, in answering the questions of Jesus. Uh, tonight, we are studying John 16, and the verse that I think is a good title for that chapter would be the last words that Jesus utters as recorded in this chapter, uh, and that would be, Take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will have hardship. But take courage, I have overcome the world. One of my favorite 
among many verses in the scriptures, probably about a hundred that I would say are my favorite. But anyway, so verse one, Jesus gives them a warning. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. So what Jesus is doing here is letting the disciples know that their future is going to be met with the religious leaders and others like them who are going to try to throw them out of the synagogue, say they're not true Jews, and even try to kill them and kill them. Now, who, would, who did that that would become a great apostle? Paul, right? Paul was guilty of that before he came to Christ. And what's interesting is that what Jesus told would be true of the disciples, we already witnessed in John's Gospel earlier, because remember what happened to the blind man in John 9 after he was healed? They kicked him out of the synagogue, remember? What happened after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? We read that the religious authorities wanted then to kill Lazarus and Jesus. In fact, it was after that miracle that they said we have to stop this guy, Jesus. Otherwise, the whole world will be coming after him. And so Jesus is saying that you guys, the same thing is going to happen to you. And it's a warning for all of us, for Christians throughout the ages. And the people who do this, some people are going to think they're doing service to God. Certainly the Jewish leadership thought they were doing God a favor. Now today, you know what religious group is most guilty of this? kind of persecution and killing, it would be Islam. Because Muslims don't kill Christians because, you know, now some do. I mean, some, like ISIS and some of the others, the leadership, they have ulterior motives. They're not really religious motives. They're motives of control and power. But there are a lot of people, the idealists in their religion, who think they're doing God a favor by killing the infidel. Um, but the fact is they're not. They don't really know God because God is love. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. God says, love your enemy. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So anybody who has that type of mentality is not of God, doesn't know God. And that's what Jesus then says. Look at what he says here. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Verse 3. Verse 4, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So, these things they didn't have to worry about when Jesus was alive and well. But Jesus is going to leave them. Jesus lives in us, we know now, in the, through the Holy Spirit. And though we have great power and we have great access to the Father through Christ, it does not mean we're going to be spared from persecution. That does not mean we're going to be spared from harm. You know, who do we think we are, right? Look at the history. Look at what's going on currently uh, around the world. But Jesus says, hey, I'm preparing you. You know, forewarned is forearmed. 
And that's why it's important that we have that abiding relationship with Him so that we can put on the spiritual armor and that we can live faithfully and fight the good fight because some of us may be called to give up our lives for the sake of the truth, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the love of those around us. So, we begin with, how did I, how did I put it, uh, the first one, the rejection by the world. And even though we're going to be rejected by the world, we need to remember the admonition, the command to love. Then we have in the next section of this teaching, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's fascinating because if you remember in John 15, Jesus talks about, at the end of John 15, he talks about the hostility of the world, same theme, and then he talks about the Holy Spirit. The only way you and I can live a Christian faith, and equally important, the only way you and I can endure persecution and press through times of oppression is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. So then Jesus says, but now I am going to him, that's the Father who sent me, and none of you ask me, where you are, are you going? Now, they were, if you, if you read back in like 14 and 13, you know, Peter says, I'm going to go wherever you are, Lord. And, and 14, Thomas is wondering, you know, where's the way? And they were wondering what Jesus was doing and they were contemplating him being not there and they weren't fully understanding it. But it wasn't, they weren't asking the questions, oh, why is it necessary for you to go to the Father? Or they weren't worried about, the greater purpose of why Jesus was doing what he was doing, they were simply worried about themselves, of not having their master, their Lord with them, um, to deal with the, the challenges and the political problems around them. That was really their concern. It was more of a self-centered motivation, you know, because they weren't grasping the bigger picture. But Jesus, he was always had the Father's perspective, the bigger picture in mind. And you've heard me say this too over the years, that following Christ, one of the ways that we increase our faith, one of the, reason, uh, one of the ways we are able to transcend the junk of this world is to have the Father's perspective. The more you have the perspective of God, the more you're able to understand and deal with the things of this world. If you don't have his perspective, you're going to get you're going to get swallowed up. So Jesus is saying, "I'm going to go to the Father, but none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But again, the sorrow is not so much the sin of the world on Jesus's shoulders. The sorrow is from them not having Jesus anymore. And just as an aside, it's kind of like this. When we lose a loved one, or when we contemplate losing a loved one, it's very difficult. And uh, it's obviously not a pleasant time, and we all have gone through it. But sometimes we have to say, I, I do think that some of that, and, and I don't want to, don't take this too you know, harshly, but there's a selfish component to that. What I mean is for ourselves. Because the fact of the matter is, if our loved one is a believer, and if we are being faithful to our faith, we know that no one dies unless it's appointed by God. You remember Jesus said, uh, God knows when the, fair, uh, 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 what, the sparrow falls and, 
knows every you know uh, hair on your head, etc. Um, it's in God's will, and they're in a much better place. So the sorrow, yeah, we have the sorrow of loss, but our sorrow should eventually be replaced by the gratitude and the joy of knowing that they wouldn't want to come back here. And so that's really a warning against excessive grief. And there's nothing wrong with crying and being sad and, there's, and that's part of the mourning process. And hopefully, I mean, that's normal because we've experienced loss. But there's a danger. That's why when, you know, <laughs> forgot, was it with Lazarus? There might have been someone else. You know, they, people, um, families would actually have like professional wailers. You know, people would just cry and oh, carry on. And as a way of kind of demonstrating, you know, one's love for the person. But it's, it's not of, you know, in terms of, that's not the way of the, the way of Christ. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. Now, who is the Helper? We're going to find out in just a moment. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I've said this many times, but it's good to repeat it. Helper is the English word for the Greek paraclete. And Jesus calls the Spirit here the paraclete. And the paraclete is not a type of parakeet. Okay? The paraclete, all right, literally means one called alongside to help. And so, literally, it's the helper, but it's more than just a helper. And that's why in some English translations, it's translated as counselor, or advocate, or comforter. I'm sure you've seen those translations before. Because the fact of the matter is, is that the Holy Spirit here means one corresponding to the person who's, be talk, who's doing the talking, that's the Son. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you another helper. Someone who corresponds to me, who is just like me. And He's going to help us, but just not help us. He's going to help us in all areas of our lives. He's going to be there to guide us, as we're going to see in just a moment, right? To be that counselor. He's going to be there to direct us. He's going to be there to comfort us. He's going to be there to strengthen us. He's going to be there to advocate for us. And you think of the term advocate, and that's a legal term. When you go into a court of law, your lawyer is your advocate. And so what's being conveyed here is that Jesus says, I must go to the Father. Because if I don't go to the Father, that means I've not accomplished my work on the cross. And if I have not accomplished my work on the cross, then the Holy Spirit cannot be poured out onto all of mankind. Sin has to be dealt with first. So that's why Jesus then continues and He says, I will send Him. Oh, uh, Him. A uh, personal pronoun. It's not a it. It's a person. The third person of the Trinity. And He when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, all three of those are related. And this is concerning the world. 
And you can almost look at this as a two-part um, aspect to it. First, it's dealing with the world as a whole. And then secondly, it's dealing with us as individually. That before one comes to Christ, these three things have to be acknowledged and recognized for what they mean. And these three would be sin, righteousness, and judgment, and they're all within the context of a court of law, with God being the judge. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of unbelief, of its sin, its disobedience, its putting its faith in self or something of the creation rather than the Creator. That's what sin is. Seeking your own will instead of the will of God. And so, in a court of law, you might be convicted of murder, right? Because you broke the law. You, you took someone's life. Well, the Holy Spirit here, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about overt breaking of the commandments. We're talking about our, the essence of who we are. That we're all guilty before a holy God who is our judge. We're all guilty of sin. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Then we read righteousness. Well, why is righteousness important? You can't have sin unless you have a perfect standard of righteousness. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit convicting us of righteousness, what that's basically saying is that the Holy Spirit confirms the fact that God is the standard of righteousness and that this standard of righteousness is not simply the law, but it's actually the essence who God is, His very character, and His very character is expressed in living color, in flesh and blood, in how Jesus lives His life. And so that's why when Jesus said about breaking the law, it's not about simply not of doing or not doing the commandments, it's what's in your heart. And the only way our heart can be healed and transformed is by God in Christ. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin. It convicts the world of righteousness, that God is the standard. And then it convicts the world of judgment, that because of our sin and because of God's righteousness, because He's a holy God, we all stand condemned. We're all judged. And so there is no hope for anyone in this planet when it comes to being able to stand before God righteously. That's why there's so many verses, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. You know, those are two verses from Romans. From Isaiah, you know, there's no one righteous. No, not one. God says, your righteousness is like a filthy rag before me. By the works of the law, no man can be justified. We're all judged. We're all guilty. And so it's the Holy Spirit who works to convict us of these realities, but also the Holy Spirit convicts the world simply by confronting the world with the reality of who God is and what God's done and saying, well, how have you responded to that? And it's clear, you can look at all history, would you all agree that the world has been a cesspool of rebellion and violence, ignorance, and apathy? and that the world has never attained to the righteousness of God. And that's why we're all under judgment. But remember earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus says, anyone who believes in me has passed from judgment to life. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. 
To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. God bless.